Alright you guys, welcome back to Little Man Big Conversations. Man, I tell you, each and every time I have a guest on here, I never know who or what is going to come to the table. And today, I've got the best of both worlds. I've got a who and I've got a what in the terms of what am I watching on stage. And I mean that in the best way possible because some of these acts that I've had the pleasure of seeing over the last couple of years, man, they will blow your creative and literal mind in the best way possible. But... Don't let me, don't take my word for it because she's here today. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, the one, the only Scarlett Tinkerbell. Scarlett, how are you? I am fabulous. How are you? <laughs> I am, I'm doing quite well. I'm doing quite well. Okay. So I remember coming and seeing a show. Oh gosh, it would have been, I, I think it would have been maybe close to two years ago. And I remember seeing your act and I, Funny story. I'll I'll tell my first impressions first, and then I'll let you know the story prior. Um, <laughs> I remember seeing one of your acts, and I think it was a, a Tinkerbell inspired act. And I remember sitting there, and uh, for those out there that you, you may have seen the cover art, there's a, there'll be a photo of of Tinkerbell on the cover art of this episode. But man, you are one tatted up lady. They're all creative. They're all different. It's all vibrant. It's all exciting. And I remember seeing this tattooed girl come out as Tinkerbell and I think and I thought what is happening where am I this is this is awesome that this is such an escapism this is such a cool little vibe because I'm a big fan of storytelling I, I like seeing uh entertainments I like seeing performances have a bit of story they have a bit of storytelling to them and and that was one where I thought hey straight off the bat I get it I know what's happening here and it just proceeded to be this extravagant three to four minute act to a song and I thought that is uh, awesome. And I remember telling some of my wrestling friends that I went and saw these burlesque act and mentioned that you had an act there. And one of my uh, trainers, one of my oldest wrestling friends actually said to me, he goes, man, I, I went to a burlesque act a few years ago. I said, oh yeah, it's trying to find some common ground. And he mentioned, yeah, there was this girl there that did uh, a, a, a big act, um, and she sort of impersonated uh, being the poop emoji. And I thought, what? I, like, and that wasn't the act that I saw. And I went, are you sure you saw burlesque? And he goes, yeah, I swear in my life it was a burlesque show, man. Like, trust me, it was. And I went, yeah, okay. Man, years later, did I find out that you had, you had that act? I man, did. For the people that aren't really sort of – Okay, so I, I will take a break here and let you describe what that act was because right now it sounds like I'm having a mild stroke. This is a real thing. Do you remember, I mean, that first act, was that of Peter Pan inspired Tinkerbell? Was that the vibe you were going for? Yeah, so my Tinkerbell act, which is still in current rotation, um, mm -hmm. it was my take on Tinkerbell getting her wings. Um, but it's, right. it's sort of also a parallel story of myself giving my me my own wings to be able to go and be free and be creative and present things in a way that I want people yeah. to see them in mm -hmm. um so yeah it, it's something that's really close to my little fairy heart um but yeah like it's evolved and changed over the I think I've been doing that act for about three three and a half years now right um okay. and it's it's grown and grown to uh, what Lenore Noir, another local babe, calls propagandin, because <laughs> it's got so many props in it. But um, yeah, like it really is. It started about mainly about Tinkerbell, and you know, I absolutely love Disney, mm -hmm. um, and I have done well, obviously because my name's Tinkerbell. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it 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 came from wanting to put Tink on stage, and instead of doing like the typical Peter Pan Tinkerbell type scenario. I wanted to delve a little bit more into Tink's backstory of, you know, her getting her wings and being able to fly away and be her own creature. Yeah. yeah. Well, that 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 definitely came across on screen because it Amazing. was such a – you were? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it was – and it was amazing and it was captivating. But we got to get to that other story now because, yeah, that was a story I heard – long before I saw this act and then I was told through the grapevine that you were the one that did it and I thought I, at first I couldn't put the two and two together because I'd seen that Tinkerbell act first and I went there's no way that this 
performer does that act. It, it, it must be a burlesque act, but I, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't envision it in my head. Like I, I was struggling to sort of understand the concept. And then when I saw it, I thought, there's no one else that could sort of get away with doing, doing this kind of act. So for the people out it's there a that real shit time. <laughs> uh, let's just say when I saw that act, I did not leave feeling shitty. It was funny as shit. It was awesome, and it, it was just one of the. I think it was one of those risky performances where it's very much kind of those acts where you think this is going to sink or this is going to swim. And it's going to be a very thin line the first time I do it of which way it's going to go. Because some people will get it and some people will go, I don't understand what's happening. But for the people <laughs> at home right now that are probably hearing this that may or may not have seen it, for the people that have not seen it and have no idea what we're talking about, please fill in the gap of this uh, not shitty act. So uh, it, it, it's, yeah, it's a real shit time on stage. It's a whole lot of fun. Um, I love having a bunch of different acts that are just so different from each other. I don't want to have a repertoire of routines that are all the same or same style. Like I want to be known for that person that, oh, wait, what's she going to do next? Um, and it, you know, I, I really love comedy on stage. And I think if, if you can find a, a line that you can cross within doing that parody and comedy, um, then it's really fun to take your audience on just finding that edge and just keeping them there, maybe pushing over it just a little bit with things that might make them a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like it's a Pumerji. Um, it's a giant Pumerji that I actually handcrafted myself. Really? Um, yeah. How long did that take you to make? Uh, the actual construction was probably, I mean, I don't, I still work full time in dance, so um, I kind of, I guess, put it together over a month after work and weekends and stuff. Um, but the conceptual plan for it took me about eight months to work out how the hell I was going to build this thing. Um, and, that, and that was all just sort of generated from scratch. Like obviously you had the yeah, I just bought a, a roll of brown fabric and went, yep, I'll make a skirt that is going to be a primoji that I can pack <laughs> down and take with me wherever I want to travel to. Um, right. Fun fact, it opens up and I can sleep on it if I need to. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a strange image to walk into late at night. Oh, she's yeah, def- a gigantic poo emotion. Yeah, or, you know, in the back of my car if I can't drive home or something. Who knows? Um, anyway, I wanted to have something. I wanted to do something that was a bit fun and that played on this this edge of the audience and, and seeing how far I could push them and take them. Um, but in a fun way and, and, you know, nothing too scary or in need of consenting to. Um, and yeah, so I think I was going through a bit of a a time and I kept referring to, oh, it's just a shit show. And then I, I I clicked and went, I'm going to be a promoji. I'm going to spread my shit all over the country. And so it (laughs) then became this like marketing thing in the back of my head going, people are going to think of me when they're having their morning constitutional. It's going to be great. This is so good. Um, I don't know whether people do or not, but I like to think that they do and that my marketing works. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then like, you know, I, I tried to think of as many songs that if you actually were thinking about shit, what songs were relatable? Yeah. There are so many freaking songs. And so uh, many. Uh, how many did you end up choosing? Was it two or I three? ended up by choosing six. <laughs> six in that, in that one act. Yeah, there's six tracks in one act, which wow. normally I would say is way overkill, but I, I think it just kind of comes together in this big, brown, shitty, fun time. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, you know, it's all, it's all about poo um, and flatulence and, you know, there's auto-tuned fart noises through the whole track, uh, courtesy <laughs> of CC Shabam, who did have a good giggle the entire time she was making the edits for me. Um, and then, yeah, like I, I luckily had a friend that believed in what I was doing and let me debut this shit show on her stage. Um, so I think it was like, uh, three years ago, December at Curves and Claws. And, um, it was, I can't remember what the theme for the Christmas thing was. It might've been like Annie Christmas or something. Right. And, um, anyway, I was like, I've got this act. And I really want to get it out this year. And your your show's in December. It's like literally the last show that I'm doing for the year. 
can I do this act and how do we make it work for your theme? Mm. She's like, yeah, you could do that on my stage. God bless Kitty Obsidian. Thank you so much. Um, and so we we kind of marketed it as Mr. Hanky the Christmas Poo. Right, yeah. Because we all stuff ourselves stupid at Christmas. So it's got to be a poo. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we debuted Mr. Hanky the Christmas Poo, a.k.a. the shit show. Um, and everyone loved it. Uh, it. It was still in its infancy. Um, I think at the time I hadn't quite gotten the balls to sploosh on stage in the way that I wanted to for that act. Um, mm-hmm. So we had like a little Pumoji guy that I kind of rubbed myself with. Um, and, you know, it progressed later on to a full schmear uh, with a toilet paper bowl twirl at the end, which is a time and a half because I don't know if you've ever tried holding toilet paper while your hands are insanely sticky, um, but it does yeah. not come off easily. <laughs> no, uh, just just to put an asterisk on that, because there's probably some people out there that have heard the word splooshing and then heard hand sticky and then performance. They're starting to get the wrong impression here. <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't want to give that vibe. People going, I hope she does the shit show tonight. It apparently gets really raunchy. What, for those out there that are listening, what is splooshing? Because there's probably some people out there that are thinking, it's not what it actually is because so, that's so where pollution is yeah. like fetishizing food on bodies, basically. Right. Okay. So I'm assuming. So, like, if you were like sexually smearing yourself in some form of food for your viewers, right. or even for your own entertainment, I mean, like the the product that I get to, to sploosh myself with uh, is actually very moisturizing. Well, that's it for us here today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I get your drift. It's uh, it's a, it's a different, it's a different shade. It's not as uh, bright and vibrant, but uh, it works and it gets a reaction. That's the main thing, right? It sure does. I had my first walkout last year. Wow, really? Someone I thought cro- it was real. I crossed the line, apparently. <laughs> Did someone think it was real? Is that why they left? I don't know. I think it, it was a guy in a bar. He had a beer. And um, it wasn't a normal burlesque show, so it was, like, um, very integrated with, I think there was some singing, some spoken word, um, some mainstream dances that, you know, are very highly trained and were beautiful and amazing to watch. Yeah. Um, and then there was, you know, some variety burlesque acts popped in there, and I was requested to do the shit show. Um, I think this was... Um, I can't remember which show it was. Anyway, um, so it was in the valley, in an upstairs room, gone out there, everyone's having a good time, and it wasn't a densely packed audience, so you could see people in the audience. Yeah. And uh, there's this guy drinking a beer, and he's, like, bopping along to the tracks because they're all very well-known tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, this is funny as fuck. It's got farts all through it, like, huh, you know, general, general thing. And then the the uh, splooshing section comes out towards the end, and he's literally almost spat his beer, put his hands up in surrender, <laughs> and going nope, and just like totted on out. <laughs> Amazing, yes, it's it's the weird thing about performance acting because uh, sometimes the audience can't diverse between reality and fiction. I I know firsthand. In my field, in the pro wrestling world, there there have been some times where I've gone out there and I've said things to the audience to piss them off because I was a bad guy and that was my role. My role was to make them upset at me so that when the good guy did something, be it to either the guy I was managing or to me, everyone would go, yay, finally that little piece of shit, no pun intended, um, <laughs> got hit. And it was that was the whole point. You make the good guy look good by you basically being an asshole again no pun intended and mm-hmm. there were times quite literally where i would have promoters come into the locker room after our segment on the show after our match and ask is is flash here is the guy that he's with are they both here and we'd say yeah sweet to which the promoter quote okay good i was just wondering because there's fans outside wanting to punch you for what right. you said out there because yeah. they, they can't um, because they can't determine whether or not what we was what we were doing was a real moment or whether it was part of the show. So when situations like that happen, like for yourself doing that act where it breaks that fourth wall and people go, Oh, is this real? And you go, Well, no, it's not because it's an act. It's obviously like this isn't you know, you're not really putting I'm on I'm not your really body, gonna eat my own yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but the thing is, if you do it in such a way that you believe in what you're doing, they have no other choice than to go, shit, everyone here is reacting like it's real. I'm out. And that's where you sort of, you hit that nail on the head and you go, this is awesome. Because not only is this working and, and 95 to 98% of the audience is getting it, but that 2% that sort of goes, what? And then that unique percentage that goes, I'm out of here. Man, I think sometimes it's almost even better than getting a standing ovation for your act. Like, yeah, you it's, get that- like, it's like when you're playing a game and you unlock a new level, you're like, yes. I did the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you get those achievements. You go, I didn't even know that was a thing. Okay, great. That ha- that's happening. But yeah, so that that happened for your act. Um, that's how I remember seeing you that first time. I think a couple of years later, um, I started to, I, I think I just decided, like I was obsessed with The Greatest Showman. I'll, Hugh Jackman has always been a big influence in my life. And I thought, Tap dancing is kind of cool. And I remember seeing tap dancing images as a kid. Like, uh, I can't remember the name of them, but there were there was a group of them in, in Sydney or there was like Australian. The uh, tap dogs? That might have been it, yeah. Like real like, industrial, bunch of lads in flannels and denim. Yeah, that, that yep, was tap I remember dogs. See, Yeah, that was it. That's it. And I remember seeing that commercial and being like, this is rad. And then – I thought like that was oh, that always stuck with me as a kid. I don't know why. And then I think like a couple of days after at school, I started to like try and tap on the school and tripped over or something. I don't know. But I remember seeing that. I remember seeing Hugh Jackman do it, and I thought, yeah, I'm uh, I'm gonna try doing this. And yeah, this is an open forum, so you can. It's <laughs> you not can, as easy as it looks, is it? <laughs> and no, I uh, I come I come from a, a background in, in entertainment where we have to be fluid to a certain extent we're taking the moves but all the leg movements are very much planted like you plant your leg here you do this you shift on your your the balls of your feet on your ankles yeah so that was a big process for me to sort of as you put it because i remember you saying it just don't think about your legs because when you think about your legs that's when your legs are going to lock up and they're going to start going to back to what you know mm-hmm. don't just sort of let what just just think about the actions but not of your body parts and i went yeah, that makes sense. And then, of course, I then proceeded to consistently think about my legs the entire time, <laughs> which was not helpful. But, if I remember uh, correctly, you're a bit of like a, a Danny Toes, Freddie, Freddie Flintstone in your tap shoes. Thanks. Let's. I uh, didn't realize this was a roast. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> no, I was. I, I agree. I was. I was very much uh, yabba-dabba-doo, stomping the floor. And you're like, okay, there's no stomping in this part. And I'm like, oh, sorry, stomp. Um, I'm surprised I didn't cause damage to that lovely floor that we all practiced on because yeah i uh yeah i was quite i was quite stampy i was quite stampy during those performances but look you're wearing top shoes you may as well make some noise right go stamp away uh yeah i i mean at home it was fine but yeah doing that act was was awesome and i remember really having an appreciation and much more so than I don't think it was like an ignorant thing. Like it wasn't like a self-contained bubble where I thought, yeah, tap dancing's cool. It looks easy. Anyone could do it. It wasn't that, but I remember just thinking like how cool it was to then go and do it. And I thought, wow, like this, I had a big appreciation in the sense of like, this is a lot of work and it's, it's amazing to see those people on stage be so easy breezy with it to you and to a certain extent yourself being able to teach that and just be like, yep, this is easy. This is just how it is. And it just made me really sort of appreciate the work that uh, I guess entertainers and performers do not only in that field, but just teaching gents in general, which is something that you yourself do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was definitely a time, but that's how I met you. And that's how we ended up, uh, training together for a certain amount of time. But if we're going to rewind the hands of time, I remember we're going to we rewind it back to how this all began for you. I remember when I was training with you, you were saying to me at one stage that, because I was saying to you, like, how do you, how do you, how are you able to just do this? How is it able to just click and register for you so easily? And I remember you saying to me, I've had dance involved in all my life. So take me back to you. What, what was, your first experience with dance like? Yeah, and look, I don't think I remember my exact first experience yeah. with dance as a child because I kind of started when I was two. Two years old? Yeah, so, like, I, you don't really learn too much, obviously, at two years old, but, right, like, yeah. um, I, I vaguely, vaguely remember 
my nan used to take me to all my dance classes and then when I got older competitions and stuff and I vaguely have this memory of her sitting on the outer edge of a hall while we're wearing little pink fluffy things to the Thumbelina music yeah so I'm assuming this is like somewhere when I first started Mm -hmm. um and I remember other times from the same hall that my nan was like then sitting outside and then that she was sitting in her car halfway across the car park so I've been told since I got older not much older but since I got older um that I didn't like going to dancing when I was little and that I wouldn't stay there or I wouldn't behave unless I knew my nan was there Right. So my poor nan used to have to sit in the car and wait the entire class all the time. <laughs> right. Okay. So you needed that sort of that safety barrier, that yeah, safety I blanket, my if safety you will. Safety nan. Yeah. Do you, do you remember um, what the act was that you were learning it to? Uh, yeah, it was a thumbelina dance. So I don't know right. if you've seen like the thumbelina. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, ta- like, a, is born a in a flower. Yeah, I have a tattoo of it. Oh it's, really? Uh, I did shame. not know this. <laughs> No, I, I do. I know. I'm only kidding. I do know the act, though. It's um, yeah. It's it's a classic. Uh, I believe it was a children's tale. Was it also a poem and a book? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never really delved down the Thumbelina line, but okay. Um, yeah, that that was my first actual dance memory. Was that? Um, I think like my my better and more extravagant memories early on in my dancing dancing world. I would have been about six, um, and that was when I was starting to compete for ballet and tap. Um, so yeah, not not too much down the line, but yeah, every every weekend was tutus, tiaras, and competitions, um, and I absolutely loved it. So I obviously got over the fact of my nan having to be there, although she did take me to all the competitions and was still there front row and cell. <laughs> So that was your first experience of it and you remember being a part of it and it was Stumbelina and things like that. But do you remember then when it sort of became, uh, I guess as a kid, like as a child, you always have that sort of sponge mentality where everything is so new and so vibrant and so absorbed as you're growing up. Can you pinpoint or vaguely remember the time when it sort of became not just something that you enjoyed, but you knew that it was something that you were really passionate about. Was that still at an early age where you thought, oh, I can't wait to go to dance practice or did that come later on? Yeah, no, I was like that as a kid. Right. I was always like that. So once I think I got over my initial, like, you know, two to four year type thing when I was first learning and very reliant on my nan being there. Um, I used to love going to dance class and I was, I was very lucky, um, to always be in such a supportive family. Um, like I had a single mom and my nan and it was just us three little ladies, uh, for quite some time there. And, you know, mum would go and work three jobs so I could go to Catholic schooling and do all this dancing and learn piano and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, so like I'd always be grateful and I'd always love going to dance class. I was an only child, so it was, you know, a fun activity with other kids and it was creative and I've always loved classical music. Um, you know, and back in like the late eighties, early nineties, the rock music and jazz music that we used to have, like it was just it was great. I loved every moment of being there. Um, the harder it got meant the more you had to work for it, but then you'd reap the rewards of putting the extra time in and you started understanding, you know, give and take and what you can actually mentally and physically put your body through. Yeah, that is, uh, it's definitely a a tough process to go through, not only as a performer, but being that young of an age. But there was something that you knew early on that you went, okay, this is definitely something that you were I guess like something that you were addicted to, like you were really looking forward to learning dance and becoming a part of it. Was it just, was it just dance itself or was it starting to feel like were you enjoying performing? Uh, It was all of it. Like I loved learning. I loved performing. I loved working on costumes with my nan. Um, So she made a lot of my costumes for my competitions um, Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. And so I competed pretty much from six to 15 years of age. Um, wow. for ballet and tap, not so much jazz. It wasn't, wasn't much my jam at the time, but, 
Um, yeah, belly and tap, I'd, I'd always compete most weekends. Um, and a, a little fun fact was my mom used to be a tap and Highland dancer as well. So, wow. You know, so it's sort of in the family history. Have little tap-offs on the weekends. And, <laughs> yeah. So you sort of got like a family history there. So you had that sort of support, not only from your nan, but your mom was also um, had experience. Yeah, she, she grew up doing the same thing, dancing and competing. And, you know, I, I think you know, even for me, I got to an age where I wanted to learn off other people more and do like more courses instead of competing um, yeah. at that level and, you know, go on and get my teaching certificates and stuff like that. So she, was, she wasn't like a dance mom, was she, where she was like, no, you're doing this wrong. She was supportive. She was doing oh, look, it with there you. Was moments. There oh, was really? moments. There still okay. are moments. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it's like round two um, with Burlesque World. But, you know, like that, there'd be times where she'd try and give constructive criticism, whether I took it constructively or through a tantrum, you know. It, yeah. it depended on the day. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like it, all our family was involved, my nan, my mom. Um, both of them were, uh, Nen was a Highland, uh, not a Highland, a ballroom dancer with my grandpa wow. back in the day as well. So, um, every, everyone's come from, you know, their love and passion for dancing and creativity. Um, so it was always, if you don't want to go, don't go. Like no one's making you go. I'm like, but I want to go. Why would you say I didn't have to go? Yeah. Did it make um, so it made things easier having that? Yeah, network? I think when you're choosing, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some days where um, I would have been digging my heels in, going, "Oh, I don't want to go. I'm exhausted." Or you know, school. When I got into high school, you start getting more and more assessments, and it gets too much, and your brain's going to explode. But I've always found like dance has been an outlet and a happy place for me. It doesn't matter what's going on outside of that room the minute you, you know, you put your dance gear on, you put your shoes on, you get into that mindset, it makes it all go away. Like all the problems go away. That's very interesting because we have a similar thing with, uh, with pro wrestling and it, and I've said this before to various performers. I think I may even said it to you, but for the people listening burlesque and which we'll get into, um, and wrestling share a very similar ground in the sense of you create a character, you have entrance music, well, in, in Burlesque case, the music that you dance to. And both platforms create a story. You're telling a story in the ring about how you overcome your opponent. And in Burlesque, you're telling a story that that resonates with not only the character, but the song is sort of a complement to the story that you're telling in your dance and your performance. So they share a similar trait in that, in that sort of environment. But I get what you mean because there are many, many times where guys that have been in that locker room and girls and for myself as well i've thought man i don't want to be at this show i've got things happening in my personal life i'm not enjoying it there's people out there i don't want to see i just don't really want to be here this match is a bit iffy blah 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 blah. but as you've just said as soon as you get into that mindset as soon as you put all the gear on as soon as you sort of psych yourself up and get into that zone where you stop being regular everyday person and become the character and for you, it's it's when you're out there and that music hits and it's boom, lights are on, let's go. For myself and for a lot of people out there, as soon as you walk through that black curtain to go out there and do your job in that ring and you do your job and you come back, from the minute you walk out that curtain to the minute you go back through it, everything is on pause. You're just in the zone. You're creating that environment. You're creating that zone. You're creating those memories and telling that story in your performances and then – yeah, once you get backstage, okay, now real life can pick up again. And it's it sort of – I don't know how it feels for you because it, it, I feel like it's sort of an escapism. It's it's almost euphoric in a way where it's just like I don't have to worry about anything right now because I'm totally. just here in the zone. I could be having the shittest day. I could have got the most strangest text message a mere moments before I came out there you know, situations that are really going to sort of rock you as you're about to step out there. But as soon as you step out there, it's like, I remember why I love this. Is that what it's mm-hmm. like for you when you go out there and do it? Totally, totally. It's like that even just going into a classroom and learning or teaching though. Yeah. Like yeah. Anyth- anything, like I used to say dance it off. Like if you're in a bad mood or a funk or whatever, like find your, find the tiniest amount of mojo and just go have a dance jam or, you know, in your case, go have like a little bit of a, wrestling jam or workout jam even if it's just yourself and like instantly you feel better like your mood your mood gets better 
oh, yeah. you feel happier. You get the adrenaline rush from it all, like especially if it's going on stage. Um, and, and then you come off and, yeah, okay, real world can kind of suck sometimes. It does for mm. everybody. And But, you know, like knowing and doing these things that make us feel better means we can deal with the rest of it that little bit better too. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is such a... It's such a like I wish I could bottle that sensation. That moment, the the music hits, and you're out there performing. That that rush of adrenaline, and it's almost like this weird hybrid of nervous energy, anxiety, and adrenaline all sort of merging together to create this concoction of, whoa, I'm excited, and you get out there, and it's just the perfect formula for being in the zone. That element, that blend, and that mix of everything happening just as you step out there. I wish. I could bottle that sensation or sell it as a fragrance and just share it with people and go, this is what it's like. There'd be like, no more need for antidepressants. Well, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and there would be such an influx of people wanting to be a part of a creative business to go, look what this feeling's like. And they'll go, wow. And you go, I've never experienced anything like that before. And it's like, yes, exactly. This is why we do it. Not for the fame and the acclaim. That sort of comes later. But just for the act of performing and creating those memories for people to then get off stage and go, okay, I did what I did my part. I did my job. But the best thing, and I'm going to ask you if you've had this, because the best thing that I, I feel like is that when people are leaving a performance and they've seen you perform and they've been excited and they've, they've paid their money, they've enjoyed the whole show from start to finish, I feel like the most rewarding thing, and it may sound egotistical, but I don't mean it to be that way. It, it is a matter of professionalism and it is a matter of creating those memories for people, which I love to do, and I'm sure you're the same, mm. is that when people leave, you'll get that sort of eavesdrop kind of conversation from regular day strangers, fans of whatever industry they're going to see, and and you'll hear oh, wow, you know, wasn't that show great? Yeah, I really enjoyed the whole show. But did you see what Tinkerbell did in her act? And that's the bit where you go, they enjoyed everything, like everything to them. They enjoyed the whole thing from the MC, from the start to every act to the end. But they, the moments that stand out are those performances that they, they can either resonate with or that, that they can connect with. Because I'm not sure if you have had this, and I would like to ask you this question. Do you feel like there are some times, and this isn't, trying to bury anyone this isn't an attacking anyone as a performer but i'm just talking in terms of the act themselves do you feel like sometimes with 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 burlesque acts especially there is almost sometimes with certain acts that there is almost like this invisible glass screen like an aquarium where people want to feel engaged and sort of be a part of it but at the same time it doesn't feel like they are because there is that screen like they're they're looking at the crowd they're interacting with them to a certain extent, but there is still this sort of, you know, emotional connection with the group, like a barrier. Do you, do you, do you get what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally get what you mean. And I think I've even experienced myself being on stage and having that barrier there. And you're like, I don't like either, either your mindset's off or like the crowd's different or yeah. something, or you can't find that connection point. And it happens to everyone. Mm. So, like, as much as I have seen it on a stage as well, I've also felt it from being on the stage um, and trying to learn from it um, is, like, one of the most important things of being a performer is connecting with your audience. Um, so trying to make sure that you learn and grow and work out what works for you so that when you step on that stage, you can connect with your audience, mm. um, whether that be, like, you might be doing a really sensitive topic on stage yeah. that, you know, creates the barrier from the audience's side because they're, they're a bit nervous about what they're about to watch. Um, or, you know, they're, they're not liking where it's taking them or something like that. Like you, you've got to find, and you've got to be happy with how you're connecting with the audience. Yeah. Um, you know, some performers do like pushing that, that stuff across the edge. Like it might be a topical thing. It might be an actual, um, the physical thing that they're doing on the on the stage mm. I know there's been times where I'm sitting there like like jutted back in my seat because it's too much for me to handle um, right. I've seen a lot of kink things and suspension and blood and there's been a whole range of things that I've seen over the years um but yeah like it, some some people do create that reservation when they're watching um and you know like a performer on stage trying to gain that connectivity it's 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 hard mm. um you can't always see your audience either so you're like I need to make eye contact with that blur of a light just over to that yeah. right. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, like it's, it's, it's hard and it's learning experiences for all of us. Um, and you know, we're, we're human, we're still normal people. We're not going to get it right hundred percent every time. Yeah. But it is that sensation that sometimes, and and I I really resonate with what you're saying where you feel like, man, I really want to break that barrier. And then it is that thing. It is that learning process because at the beginning, it's very hard to not only get on stage and perform, but to then be able to connect with an audience on an emotional level because those because once you are able to do that in arguably all of your acts or ergo matches, then it really does create that that memory and that moment and, and has those people saying, yeah, the whole thing was great. Oh, but when this moment happened in this dance or when this moment happened in this match, man, wow, I really feel for that person. Or wow, that act was so great. Yeah, and they, they really go on that journey with you while you're on stage. Like you're really sucking them in and you're taking them exactly where you want them to go and feel. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be those dramatic or sad acts. Sure, by default, those dramatic and sad acts, naturally about 70% of the work is already done because people will hear violin, sad music, or have face paint looking sad, and you'll go, oh, Okay, uh, this is not going to be, uh, a, I guess, a, a, a bright moment right now. I'm going to be taken on this journey and that experience. But when it gets to that 100% and they really go, oh, wow, I did not see it going this way. And I'm glad it did because, yeah, that is what it's like. And you sort of, again, break that fourth wall where reality becomes a show or a show becomes reality and people go, yeah, it was a, it was an act, but that really hit home for me. But I know it was an act, but oh man, like that was nuts. And, and it makes you think and it makes you feel. <laughs> yeah. And that's the main thing is that you want people to leave, not only enjoy themselves, but feeling something and going, I can't wait for the next one. Just like when you go to the cinema, you go, wow, that was really great. I hope they do a sequel. It's, just, it's a similar experience, but we may be jumping ahead here because we're talking about current day burlesque, especially in the acts that you're doing now. If we re- rewind back to where we were, so you had ballet and tap experience also after the was this was this shortly after your Thumbelina experience as a kid? Yeah, well, did- thumb- Thumbelina was ballet. That was the wow. That was ballet. So okay. Well, I guess you'd call it ballet. I think it was aimed to be a ballet class. <laughs> right. Okay. So. And and this is coming from I'm coming from way outside the ballpark here. I I mean I've I've trained with you. You know that my leg movement is next to none. But I've seen documentaries and I've seen those uh, intense clips and rehearsals of of um, you know all the girls in their dresses holding those those balance bot beams and and bowing and moving the leg movements and training. And it looks rigorous and really really intense. Is it like that when you're when you're training for an act? to what you've you experienced betcha. <laughs> really okay yeah was so did you ever think during those times because because ballet is so intense and it's such a uh, i guess for lack of a better term such a grueling process in the in the best creative way possible that i want to say i don't want to make it sound like it's torture depending on how often a week yeah, it depends doing. on what you're training yeah <laughs> yeah um but your first ballet experiences although you were two years old once you started growing up and and experiencing ballet more did you find it as enjoyable or was it starting to become a bit more i wouldn't say tedious but was it starting to become a bit more uh i would say extreme once you're getting older like were you going oh man i really just want to take like a day off here or were you really invested in it going i love it like this is just like ballet was definitely not my strong suit going through classical dance training (laughs) uh i was more like more a tap dancer that was that was my jam still is my jam it's something that i'm i absolutely love chucking on a pair of top shoes and having having a play with uh, all the noises you can make. Um, and yeah, like ballet, I think, being a really important backbone for me, um, especially, you know, just the way you carry yourself and lines and you're a bit more aware of like how you're placing yourself on stage or even in photo shoots or generally as you're standing around during a day, um, mm. you, you tend to have different posture. Um, that I don't even think about and I don't particularly see in myself these days because it's been so long since I've done much ballet at all. 
Um, but yeah, like I, I finished probably doing ballet training around 17. Um, so quite a few years ago now. And so you're, you're involved in it for 15 years. Yeah. Give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like, and I still enjoy going and doing like a, a random, we'll call it adage because that's, you know, a fancy word we can use for it. an adult's class just to have some ballet moves, just to keep some technique in there. Mm-hmm. Um, make, you know, make myself aware again. I still do the random one every now and again. Um, but not, not seriously training in ballet anymore. Um, I, th- I think it got to a point where I guess you either do it for fun or you keep doing it with professionalism in mind. Um, at 16, 17, that was not where I wanted my ballet dancing to go. Um, I enjoyed doing it, but there wasn't really a an end game for why I was doing it anymore. It was more a, I just love to dance. I'm going to go do these things. Um, yeah. And then it got to the point where, you know, you, I had to work more, had bills to pay. Dance became less of a thing in my life. Um, you know, I think I had a, a stable boyfriend by 18 that I had moved out of home with. And dancing just wasn't a huge part of my life at that very, very moment in time. Um, obviously I found my way back to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, like there was, that was my turning point was, you know, late teens and other things were bigger in my life at the time. Right. So you were just, you, you enjoyed ballet, but you didn't want it to be of a classical sense. You were just getting to that age where you, was it not as expressive as you wanted your dance to be or were you just, you just didn't want to do classical stuff? I just, I think it was just at that point where you either went on to go and study to teach it and like ballet is quite serious work when you yeah. go to do those sort of teaching uh, experiences. The, the uh, syllabus that I trained on are um, the teaching qualifications equivalent to a three-year uni degree. Wow. Um, and that wasn't something that I could see myself going through. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think, and I, and I know now my feet and my knees wouldn't have held out doing that extensive amount of work at the time either. Um, wow, okay. Why yeah, was that? So, were, you just, were you just working very hard and it caused injuries? Or uh, I get a lot of cramping in my feet. So I, I have a stop, drop, and roll system that my feet cramp up and I just stop what I'm doing and drop. <laughs> Literally? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's getting less and less. I've been working on it over the last couple of years, but um, I think, yeah, from all the years of dancing and then stopping completely um, and then trying to get some of it back, um, my feet do cramp every now and again. I've gotten cramps in my feet within two steps of walking on a stage, having to perform and right. had cramps in my feet the entire time I've been on stage and come off and cried. <laughs> Wow. And, and it just happens at random. You can't, there's no way to sort of know the, the telltale signs of, oh, it's about to happen. Um, I, it, I get the, oh, it's about to happen. And I managed to sit down before it happens now, but um, it's, yeah, it just seems to be a random thing. It can be, to, it can be to do with so many things. So um, right. not stretching enough, not enough water, magnesium, if you're stressed, the weather, like so many things yeah. um, can play a part to any muscle cramping, not just in feet. It's just very inconvenient to be right in the arch of your foot. And that, um, has, that, has that been since you were a kid or has that been because you were dancing so much as a kid up until today? Um, I'm not really sure. I've only really noticed it in the last, say, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so after full-on dancing time, yeah. I don't think I remember noticing it back in the days of dancing every day. Mm. Um, but, yeah, like it's definitely something that would have happened one way or another, um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure – it's getting less and less now, so maybe it'll eventually dissipate. Right. Okay. So uh, there must be that stigma that you had in high school that being a dancer, it kind of comes with like a. Did you have kind of like a cool vibe to it? Like, hey, this 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 girl here, she's a, like she does dance, and it's really awesome. Did you have kind of that, I guess, reputation come out schooling, or were you very much just doing your own thing? So I had a bit of a mixed time at school. Um, so I grew up in Sydney Mm -hmm. and we moved up to Queensland in the year 2000. So I was 15 at the time and it was a really awkward age for moving states to a place that you know, absolutely nobody. Um, 
you know, we had family and stuff up here, but not, well, family, friends, I should say, but nothing that would help me in my social activities and life. Um, and, you know, like down in Sydney, we, I was in the cool kid group and we did, I never did dance at school, but, you know, a lot of the girls that I went to high school with were in my dance studio or we competed against each other on weekends or like we went and did other uh, troop type things um, mm-hmm. outside of our dance schools and normal school. I never did dance and stuff at actual school um, until I moved to Queensland. Mm. So I went from being in the cool kid group that did cheer squad every now and again. And, you know, I was not a sporty person except for dance. So when I moved to Queensland, I was like, I'm going to go and do dance and be in the drama class, music, dance, do all the things that I didn't get to do much of down in Sydney. Um, so that didn't make me any friends whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I came as the new kid and could dance and it wasn't received very well for a little while. So I went from being one of the coolest people in my grade to not really having a single friend. <laughs> Right. I made some friends. It's all good. I'm still friends with them now. Um, But yeah, ultimately, I moved up at a very weird age bracket for trying to make friends. Um, Yeah. And the minute I got my peers and had a car, I was out of it. Right. Okay. So you really were like, no, I'm not enjoying this new process. Starting almost trying to start over again. That's to a certain extent. Mm. Totally. And at that age, you just not, you, yeah, it's it's a hard time. Anyone thinking of moving with a 15, 16-year-old child, don't. <laughs> it's not fun. It might be different now, social media and stuff. It wasn't really a thing then. Um, did you did you move up for dance or was it other family-related reasons at the time? Other family-related reasons. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're up here. You, you finish schooling. What happens then? Because – do you think that having that family history of dance allowed you to pick it up easier or were you just always sort of able to just understand and, and mimic the movements and therefore learning the dance? Was that never a, a tough process for you? I think I think everyone in their own way finds love in either musical movement. There's something in either of those that people gel to, right? Like, you might not be a mover and groover, but you can appreciate music or you might get involved in music. Dance is a bit of both. So, you know, um, there's so many different styles, so many different music music tracks that you can have to dance to or to move to, to make you feel things, to have an outlet to do things in. Um, so I think, like, most people will connect to some form of that, whether they realise it or not. And tapping into that at such a young age, it's just always been home to me. Right. So uh, I don't I don't know if I didn't start dance at two, whether I'd still be, well, maybe not true, but if I didn't start dance as a child, I don't know whether I'd be drawn to it now. Right. Okay. But you that's that's a conversation for a parallel universe. <laughs> An alternate Scarlet Tinkerbell. <laughs> God, I'd hate to think what that bitch be like. Uh what would, what would the alternate be? If you're a Scarlet Tinkerbell, would you be an aquatic Thumbelina? That would be your. <laughs> that would be your alternate. <laughs> your alternate uh, reality persona that you'd have to have a chat to. So, okay, so you, you've always had the ability to sort of pick up and and do dance, um, given the history that you were doing at, at that point. So you've moved up. Schooling at this point was, uh, yeah, I, I need to GTFO. This isn't fun. You didn't yeah. do school. You didn't do dance at schooling. Where were you at once you graduated? You got a car. You got your license. I didn't graduate. Right. Okay. So you pretty much. <laughs> so you're saying you got your license, got your car, and you were adios. You just didn't want to stick. Yeah. Around. So mum would okay. ring home during the day, and I'd be there with my mates playing pool. So okay. I was I was uh, a naughty tink, and um, would maybe not go to school every day of the week. Um, Yeah, so I got to the point where I was sat down and spoken to by my parents and was given, well, if you don't want to go to school, how about you go and get a job? I went, I can do that. So I went and started working. Yep. 
lo and behold, a year later, started a trainingship that got me into the wonderful world of real estate where I've been stuck. I mean, happily recruited in ever since. <laughs> um, okay. So another conversation for another day. Um, but yeah, so like I'd still done a few classes here and there. Um, I went, I got a full-time job, started working in real estate and yeah, it was just like a normal life, work, home, boyfriend, dogs, things were missing, no creativity, Mm. getting bored. Hey, I'm going to go do some tap classes. Great. Let's go do that. Went and did some tap classes, started to hate real estate. And the first time I left real estate. Uh, my family and I bought a dance workshop down the Gold Coast. Okay. Um, so those like kind of realigned me back into where I've always felt at home. Um, so then I'm like connected with all the dance schools on the Gold Coast. I went and um, picked up my tap stuff and went and got my qualifications for teaching um, for the FATD syllabus. And yeah, there was a, a couple of really great years there. Um, and I really enjoyed being back on the dance floor, literally. Um, I learned how to sew at this point because we made a lot of costumes for local schools. Um, we made all of our own stocks for leotards and stuff. Unfortunately, some of the larger companies that would stock our shop started to open up stores here in Queensland, um, Mm. which they hadn't done before. Um, And it got to the point where there wasn't really a need for our family-run business. So we shut up shop. I went back to real estate, but I kept dancing. So that's a very entrepreneurial mindset to have, from going from real estate to then saying, yeah, you know what, I'm feeling stagnant, I'm feeling bored, dance is sort of calling me again. Did you – Having that qualification, because you, you you had to go and do that course, I, I assume it was a course, yeah? Yeah. How long was that course for you? And, and what sort of drove you to, to, to take it from, well, I have the experience as a performer. I feel like I'm comfortable enough teaching it now. Was was there a, this conversation that you had with, with well, uh, your mom I or your grandma having that history? Or did you well, just no, decide one day, I'm just going to go do it? None wasn't around by this stage. But, okay. Um, yeah, like it was it was something that just sort of organically happened. Like I was back in the scene more and I had met a wonderful lady named Joan who also isn't with us anymore. Okay. Um, and she was qualified to be able to teach teachers. And it was something that I didn't think I would be able to find on the Gold Coast because the syllabus that I learned wasn't a main syllabus that they taught up here. Um, it was something that was bigger down in Sydney and, and southern states. Um, so I came across this lady in day-to-day selling of shoes and tights and leotards and costumes. Um, and we got chatting and I ended up by going and doing a couple of years with her to get through my teaching certificates um, where, you know, you'd have live demonstrations in with the adjudicator and examiner um, and all of that. So it was like it was a really interesting process. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it it was scary at first but you know like I'd helped being by being a teacher aide in dance before and this was just then going off and doing it for myself and by myself um you know I guess some small part of me thought maybe I'll open a dance studio one day but have other people do the hard stuff like the ballet and I'll just be the tap teacher and and whatever Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like obviously that didn't happen, but we've got the burlesque and variety school instead. So win-win. <laughs> yeah. So are we getting to the stage now where burlesque starts becoming a part of your life? Because that, as you've just said, that is a main, um, I guess a forefront of your performing acts now. So you were, you were doing the tap school on the Gold Coast. Um, you were creating the costumes, but that didn't eventuated too much as you wanted it to be. What took you then from running a school on the Gold Coast to getting involved in burlesque? Was it almost an instant transition from one to the other, or had you always known of the burlesque community? How did that all come about for you? Chuck a big old gap in there by about five years. Okay. I left the Gold Coast, moved to the Sunshine Coast, had nothing to do with dancing. I think I went and did some swing dancing lessons for a little while um, just to learn something different. 
ended up falling into the pinup world. So this entire time of my life, I've been a tomboy. Okay. I'd get changed into costumes and I'd be like, it's sparkly and it has flowers on it. Why is it roughly? I hate this. But I really liked being on stage. So it was like, okay, well, this is just what you wear. You know, it's just how it how it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and Archie Arsenic and Aurora Arsenic, actually, who are very well known in our scene in both drag and burlesque. Um, back then, we were all normies and we had met through some mutual friends and um, Archie decided they wanted to dress me up. I was like, okay. Um, I don't know how I feel about this because, you know, I like my jeans and razorback singlets and braids and no makeup. That's just how I am. Yeah. Um, but she dressed me up in pinup and I went down this little rabbit hole for a couple of years where I was competing for Miss Pinup Australia and getting real girly. And the thing that actually brought me back to somewhat of dancing was doing the pinup competitions. Um, so it had been a couple of years gap, wasn't doing anything with my teaching certificates, wasn't going to classes. And did this competition and there was like, okay, you've got to do day wear, swim wear, um, evening wear, and a talent section. Fuck, what's a talent section? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, right. wait, wait, I can tap dance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because that, that would technically count, right? Right, yeah, yeah. it's a talent. Um, so we, I kind of like jumbled, like fell back into it just for this thing and you know, I kind of noticed when I was on stage doing that stuff that I'd missed the stage so much. I'd missed performing. I'd missed sharing these random little ideas that I'd had that I wanted to, you know, put on a stage in front of everybody and see what they thought of it because that's what we do as artists. We put our heart and soul onto a stage and hope people like it. Um, and then, yeah, like a, a couple of years through that, I was doing a little bit more of it. I did a lot of um, photo shoots and you know, short little clips and things like that. And I ended up by moving to Brisbane. Came to Brisbane, knew some of the girls here from the pinup community that I connected with when moving here. Um, And one of them encouraged me to come to my first ever burlesque class, which was taught by the wonderful Tina Joy at B.B. LaBeouf's School of Performance. And it was like a pinup-inspired um, I think they were like, it was, uh, I can't, I don't know who the, um, artist was that sang the track, but it was about enchiladas. So it was like these long white dresses that we had little maracas and like very pinoppy and pretty and florally. And I walked into this first class, no idea what I'm expecting. I'm like, well, at least I'm going to meet some cool peeps. Right. <laughs> yeah. And they're talking about pasties. I'm like what the fuck are pasties? Oh, you right. know, the little nipple covers. And I'm like, no, I don't know. And how the fuck do they stick on? Right. That was my first session in burlesque. I had no idea what the hell was going on. I didn't even think I was going to get on that stage at the end of that term. And I did. And I was liberated and I loved it. And I just fell into the burlesque world ever since. And that's, so, that was my entry to burlesque. <laughs> was it a nerve-wracking experience to go from, say, tap and ballet to now be told all about oh, this is the art of burlesque, this is what you're going to be doing. Given that tomboy background and given that you would now have to wear clothes that uh, I guess it's part of what we're doing here, was that kind of a uh, what's happening here kind of vibe moment or were you just I sort of like, hey, we'll just dive in? the first initial class that I went and learnt about and the person that I learnt off, being that they were so relatable to the pin-up world that I had fallen into beforehand, I instantly kind of connected with that scenario and, you know, the, the vibe and the aesthetic and everything that was going on in that particular piece. Um, you know, it wasn't like a golden age of burlesque, you know, Ziegfeld, Folly, Showgirl thing. I think I might have fallen off my perch had I gone into one of those classes for the first time. Right. But instead I went in and it was a relatable topic, things that I already liked. It was, you know, down the girly rabbit warren that I had fallen into with pin-up you know, a bit still strong and feminine and, you know, a, a character that I was already okay with. And I think it was just the perfect little blend and the perfect people to learn with. I can't remember everyone that was in that class, but I know Tina Joy was one of their, uh, was the teacher, and I know I met Dolly Cakes in that class. Right. I distinctly remember meeting Dolly Cakes. 
Hey, thank you so much for listening to part one. Oh, Tinkerbell. Make sure to follow Little Man Big Questions on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>